I was about eight years old when my uncle took me and my cousin to Indian Rock in Berkeley, California. After a few minutes of running around and playing with my cousin, I began to look closer at this rock in the surrounding area. When you look closely, this boulder, with kids, hikers, and rock climbers climbing and running around it, has quite a lot of history. I noticed that acorns littered the ground, coming from the trees giving us shade above. I look closer at the large boulder the area got its name from. Its smooth granite surface held deep polished holes like craters on the moon. I went up to my uncle and asked him what these mysterious craters in the rock were. My uncle told me hundreds of years ago, the native people of the Bay Area and groups all over California use rocks just like this to prepare their food. He told me about how they would gather acorns from oak trees, grind them into a powder on these very rocks, and cook the acorn mush into bread or porridge. This fascinated me, and for the rest of the day and drive home, I tried to imagine what it would be like to grind up and eat acorn meal. Must have taken so much work and time to have created such deep holes in solid rock, I wondered. What did acorn taste like? How do you even make food out of acorns? I remember how I used to play with acorns as money in Glen Canyon and would steal acorns from other kids so I could get rich. The kids I played with and I had no idea they were anything beyond seeds for trees and currency for our games. Being at my sit spot this quarter, during all the fires in California and other dramatic events happening around us, I found myself reminiscing about the last 20 years of my life exploring these ecosystems. This pondering led me to seek out more information about wildfires. I remembered a talk a graduate student gave on indigenous cultural burning in New Mexico I attended, and how devastating wildfires were mitigated by cultural burning. This led me to look at the history of controlled burns in my home state of California, and how that connected to my curiosity of the relationship of these native people with the oak woodlands I love to explore and play in. This history between native people of California and the oak tree provides useful insights into an ecosystem I had been exploring my entire early life. It provides helpful tools in ecosystem management and in understanding the cultural significance of the ecosystems around us. The oak tree, a member of the beech family, played quite a significant role for indigenous people of California. These people use the oak tree as a source of food and material for fishnets, baskets, and medicine. Acorns were a food staple for indigenous people of California, providing an abundant source of carbohydrates, fats, and other nutrients. It's said that a single, well-maintained oak grove could help feed an entire village. Acorns from oak trees were gathered by native people in the fall, and most were stored in outdoor granaries, baskets, elk, or deer skin for the winter months when food was scarce. A large part of the storage process was drying the acorns in the sun so they wouldn't molt. This allowed them to store acorns for two to sometimes four years. Acorn gathering had huge cultural significance, with many groups having ceremonies surrounding acorn harvest, and some groups going on long journeys to collect acorns, with large ceremonies before leaving their lands to collect. Collection of acorns was an activity that involved entire families with specific rules for gathering that recognized the harvest being alongside other animals who relied on the same food. To harvest acorns, some groups would knock branches with a stick or shake branches themselves to facilitate the falling of acorns instead of waiting for the acorns to fall naturally. Pruning or knocking the tree to facilitate acorn harvest can also remove dead or dying branches that could carry disease and invigorate fruit wood, maximizing fruiting area by reshaping the canopy allowing for more light and aid in acorn seedling establishment. Acorns can't just be eaten plain. They are very hard and bitter, necessitating the pretty laborious task of preparing acorn meal. Acorns are only really usable as food if you remove the tannins, hence the need to grind them against rock. In order to leach the acorn of bitter tannins, which make them indigestible, 
Native people would grind them either on a stone or boulder and then wash them in a sand basin or basket, which removed the tannins. This process, developed between 4000 and 2000 BC, became widespread, being much more efficient compared to other methods of acorn preparation. Over the thousands of years that indigenous people have been using this method of grinding acorns, they have created deep holes in exposed rock all over California, used for the same purpose of grinding acorns into meal, generation after generation, using the same stones and passing down tools and knowledge. I love this visual, as if you're ever anywhere native people were or are living, and you're within a few days walk of historic oak habitat and rock outcrops, you are bound to find these grinding rocks with deep grooves in them from the countless generations preparing their acorn meal. It just shows the deeply rooted history that the original caretakers of these lands have with their lands, that their presence has been ingrained into the very rocks they lived around. Once pulverized and leashed of tannins, acorn meal would be combined with water in a basket and hot rocks, which had been sitting in a nearby fire, which would be placed in the basket with the meal and water mixture, being sifted around with sticks until cooked. Extra crispy bread stuck on these hot rocks would be given to kids as a treat. Acorn doesn't have a very strong flavor, mainly being said to taste nutty, so it has been eaten with other foods, including salmon, venison, or honey. This is kind of like how we eat wheat or cornmeal today, with watery porridges or dryer loaves being cooked as an addition to other more flavorful foods. Many wildlife species consume acorns as well. There are all these great visuals of squirrels stuffing their mouths with acorns, but many important species like small birds and mammals rely on acorns. Even bears, who would fatten up on them before winter hibernation, all made use of the abundant food. Tons of other important members of this ecosystem also relied on oak trees for food and habitat. Knowing this, native people stopped harvest after November to make sure they left enough acorns for the animals, knowing many species relied on and utilized oak habitat and the acorn in some way. Additionally, the entire tree had use, like edible mushrooms growing below, mistletoe in the branches, and galls growing off the tree. Galls were used for basketry, hair dye, tattoos, and medicine. The Kumeyaay, Yuki, Luiseno, and other groups used oak galls to treat eye diseases like cataracts and as an eye washer scrub for sores and wounds by boiling galls in water and combining with other things like leaves of other trees and bark. Leaves were used for tinder, oven lining, and for stock. Oak sprouts were used for basketry, sticks, arrows, traps, fire sticks, clothing, and games. Bark from the oak tree were used for tanning, medicine, and other dyes. A variety of healing solutions, antiseptic washes, and brews to treat anything from arthritis, indigestion, tree infection, skin problems, and other internal ailments were made by the Kuiya, Chumash, Kawaisu, and others by various combinations of boiling bark or its ashes in water and drinking or applying to affected areas. From various parts of the oak tree, the Hoopa, Maidu, Miwok, Yurok, and others made bows, baskets, medicines, and firewood for pottery, warmth, cooking, used wet decaying logs for smoking meats, and gathered wood for ceremony and constructing houses. The Achamawi and other groups wet logs to smoke deer and other meats. Native traditions, culture, and way of life protected oak and other important species from predation, habitat loss, disease, and creates microclimates for these species to thrive in, as all members of this ecosystem provide some vital purpose. Groups like the hoopa cut off dead branches like OG arborists. Oak was also used as wood for stick games like lacrosse, hockey, and trees could serve as goalposts.
One such way native people tend to and influence their environment, specifically oak forest, is cultural burns, sometimes called controlled burns or prescribed fires by fire professionals these days. Cultural burns help native people manage the landscape and prevent the spread of conifers into oak woodlands, which have been historically encroaching on native oak range since the 1800s. Cultural burning would also promote the growth of native seed-bearing plants, as seeds would more easily germinate after a burn, and many of the native plants, like oak and various seed-bearing shrubs, had numerous adaptations, making them well-suited to survive and grow after fire, compared to non-native conifers, which didn't offer as many benefits to these west coast oak and grassland ecosystems. In addition, in the absence of fire, oak species are encroached by more shade-tolerant species, drastically reducing canopy development and acorn production. In order to combat this, native people would set a small fire on the forest floor around targeted large productive oak trees, killing smaller trees and shrubs, adding nutrients back into the soil, which in turn allowed these targeted trees to grow larger and produce more acorns. To maintain an open and diverse landscape, burns would be set yearly. Low intensity fires would also create many seedlings, saplings, and sprouts from the base of the oak, which have many uses outlined previously. During a fire, trees which had already aborted infested acorns, whose pests could destroy half a crop, would end up getting burned and killed as the infected seeds would be sitting on the forest floor to be engulfed by the fire. Fires also cleared underbrush, helping with acorn yields and reduce the risk of catastrophic wildfire, catching on larger bush and spreading to devastating size, which could kill mature oak trees. Oak recovers quickly from smaller brush fires, but if the brush became overgrown and dry, large catastrophic fires could occur, which would kill the entire tree. Native people found that if they burned at the right time of year and at the right frequency, they could create a more open habitat, which helped themselves and larger animals move around which in turn supported deer and small mammal populations, which helped with hunting, increased yields of food and medicinal plants, and encouraged shrubs to produce longer shoots for basketry. It also reduced vulnerability of villages to out-of-control, devastating wildfire. Over the thousands of years people have been living in these areas, land management practices like cultural burns completely altered the distributions of and interactions between species in these ecosystems. These burns enhance the yield of edible plants, maintain good conditions for habitats frequented by game birds and mammals, control pathogens and insect predators of important plants, increase water resources, and keep areas open, reducing the risk of catastrophic fire and increasing accessibility. Many useful plants grew around oak and in oak forest, keeping the forest widely spaced with full canopies fostered the growth of many useful species, making a sort of planned ecosystem where useful species were purposely supported and grown together for the benefit of all species in the ecosystem. This concept was called Tending the Wild by author and UC Davis plant science researcher, Kat Anderson. Removing native people from their land has proved to be devastating not only to their communities and culture, but also to ecosystems. Once the Spanish came to California, displacing the native community, they outlawed cultural burning, which in turn her harvest for other resources and caused many parts of California oak woodland to become overgrown. Photographs from this time compared to now show a drastic increase of coastal scrub and Douglas fir in oak woodland. Because many of our woodlands are second growth, meaning they were logged and regrew very densely, disease also spreads very quickly as trees and second growth forests are all the same age and close together, allowing for disease to spread very rapidly in these forests. Because many of these woodlands are so prone to disease spread, sudden oak death, a water-based pathogen, has devastated oak trees in the west. 
starting in the 90s. Trees that die from this disease are super scary as the tree dries out, making the trees in an area ravaged by sudden oak death super prone to fire. If you go to the Santa Cruz Mountains today, you will see the effects of both devastating wildfires and sudden oak death ravaging these ecosystems. There are some areas where most of what you can see is gray dead oak trees killed by sudden oak death and trees burnt to a crisp by wildfire. In the face of climate change and a growing movement for indigenous sovereignty, we've seen the reintroduction of native land management practices in these ecosystems. With their powerful knowledge of the ecological relationships between species and other ecosystem factors, native traditions and way of life are vital to each and every ecosystem they are a part of. Practices like cultural burns, native plant reintroduction, seed spreading, sustainable agriculture, and other restoration techniques led by native peoples on their lands have begun to be reintroduced with a lot of successes. Native-led land management practices has seen an increase in biodiversity, a return of foods, medicine, basketry plants, rebuilt topsoil, and strengthened the population of animals who rely on the native plants and historic ecosystems and have protected and brought oak back to regions where it had been overtaken by other species. In Santa Cruz County, California, the Amamutsun Tribal Band are one such indigenous group restoring their caretaking of the land. Part of the Amamutsun creation story tells about their creator giving them their territory and responsibility to care for living things. The Amamutsun state that they have a moral authority to take care of their lands in the ways of their ancestors. One of the many ways the Amamutsun are doing this is by reintroducing cultural burns to their lands. They say that to other people, fire is destructive, but they don't look at fire in this way. Historically, their people would divide their land into segments to burn and rotate burning the different segments yearly. Doing this had a variety of benefits that I outlined earlier, but to Yamamutsun, whose diet was 40% seeds, the fires would help the germination of seeds, whose plants they relied on for food. They would also spread seeds to new areas where these plants had not been growing, maximizing the seed and food production of their lands. Since fire was outlawed in the Santa Cruz County area in 1778, a majority of prairie and grasslands have been overtaken by larger, denser forests, affecting entire ecosystems and the natural resources the Yamamutsun rely on for food. Since they reintroduced fires, the Yamamutsun have seen an increase in biodiversity of food, medicine, and basketry plants. They have also seen that the fires have created healthier topsoil and increased the abundance and health of animals that rely on native plants. Today they are burning sections of land just like their ancestors, which will facilitate the growth of various ecological stages in their ecosystems. This is true for plants abundant in these grasslands they call home, like the coast tarweed, whose seeds are eaten by native peoples and have come back with the reintroduction of native land management, as well as acorns from oak, which they traveled to collect. The reclamation of indigenous land management is paramount in our fight against climate change and in our restoration and protection of our ecosystems. Food scarcity has also been a huge problem for indigenous communities post-colonization. Wild gathered foods like seeds, bulbs, greens, which are all super nutritious, were replaced with new foods introduced by European colonizers. Processed foods introduced included wheat, canned foods, foods lacking high fiber content, artificially sweetened foods, other unhealthy foods, and a narrowing of a once extremely diverse diet. Nonetheless, Acorn mush is still a large part of many ceremonies and gatherings today. 
the entire process of making acorn, the gathering, drying, storing, grinding, leaching, and cooking allows native people to keep their traditions and culture alive and connect them and pay respect to their ancestors and their way of life. Native people have since adapted to new tools that facilitate acorn harvesting and cultivation, like boiling water on a stove to leach tannins and utilizing pots, pans, and meat grinders, among other modern tools to speed up the process and use less physical labor. Today, when acorn is made, it's eaten with things like beef, potatoes, salad, honey, and other modern foods. There have been many efforts to protect oaks and bring these important trees back to regions where they have been overtaken by other species. Indigenous people are vital members of their ecosystems. They possess thousands of years of applied knowledge and practices around the organisms and ecosystems they evolved alongside. I hope to see a reintroduction of native land restoration and cultural practices throughout California and the rest of the world, as we are constantly finding more and more evidence on how important native way of life and traditions are for our ecosystems, especially now in the face of climate change and environmental collapse. Now, whenever I go outside on a hike or camping trip and see acorns scattered throughout the forest floor, it reminds me of the deeply seated history of humans and the ecosystems I'm privileged to explore and gives me hope for the future.